0: Thank you for listening to our Celebration Sermon Podcast. Celebration is a worshiping community within Hardewike Ministries. We gather at 9 a.m. in the Red Brick Church building on the Hardewike campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Celebration community in Hardewike Ministries, please visit hardewike.com. Well, we come to the end of a sermon series we've had 10 sermons where we're focused on this idea of think like Jesus core truths of our faith if this is the gospel that Jesus gave his life for us what key ideas flow from that gospel and then shape our lives I'm going to end this morning by uh, focusing on this phrase ideas have consequences and bad ideas have bad consequences Gospel ideas have gospel consequences. So this morning, I want to read for this closing sermon uh, from the text in 2 Peter. Our theme, the focus for this one, will be eternity. I had to laugh. It's my task to, in about 30 minutes, make eternity clear to you. Boy, does that feel like a setup. up Still, we're coming to 2 Peter. Now, just a quick word about 2 Peter. It was written by the Apostle Peter in the years 64 to 67 AD, just before he was martyred by the Roman Emperor Nero. It was about 35 years after the ministry of Jesus. And Peter, who's writing, was an eyewitness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We're reading from an eyewitness. Now, I'm fascinated, the earliest complete manuscript we have of 2 Peter, P72, the Papyrus Bodmer, from the late third century, that close to the actual events. It was discovered in Egypt in 1952. See, we have better, older texts than the folks who've gone before us. It was given to the Vatican in 1969. And so we, in this moment, get to read from something superintended as God arranged Peter's life, guided his writing, preserved these texts, and now brings us to him. I'm gonna ask if you're able, I uh, stand with me out of respect and appreciation for all that's gone on to get us to this moment. Hear the word of God from Second Peter chapter three. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a millennium. And a millennium is like a day. Remember that verse next time you read Revelation 20. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, it will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? How shall we live? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat, but... In keeping with his promise, we, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God. Have a seat if you would please and let's pray uh, one more time. Our Father in heaven uh, we thank you for your involvement in your creation. Certainly you have set uh, laws and principles. Uh, We live in a cascade of consequences from those and yet the good news is that you are not far and at points in your grace you have entered in. So as you moved on Peter, as you preserve these texts, as now we open them, may we hear your voice. We pray for your illumination that our hearts and minds might receive the word you would speak to us in this moment. Guard your people from my own confusion, but instead by your grace, make Jesus clear and compelling. Thank you for the extraordinary love. We make our prayer in his name and all of God's people sit together. Amen. Well, the question that I'd want to ask is, how do we conceive of the life and the circumstances in which we live? As we go through life and look around, how, how do we make sense of this? Sometimes making sense is real easy. We used to live just off the Blue Ridge Parkway, and I had to commute to work in the, on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Life was looking good. Other times, like this week with Maryland's surgery and the comings and goings with that, it's hard to make sense of all the stuff that's going around. Sometimes the events that surround us are absolutely inconceivable. Ukraine, Gaza, American urban neighborhoods. It's a hard, broken world. How do you make sense of the world and the moment in which we live. Well, here's a picture I wanna give you. I'm gonna carry it through the sermon. I want you to work with me on this this morning when I say your life, my life, every human life is lived inside of parentheses. You know about parentheses. If I'd known middle school English would have been so important to my ministry, I would have not taken those weightlifting passes that the football coach gave us. I would have been there. Parentheses. Something set off from the sentence that has meaning going both ways. Here's the definition. A parenthetical statement or the parentheses set off an explanation or an afterthought inserted into a sentence, a passage, a paragraph that is complete without it. So the sentence is complete, but you get some more insight by what's in the parentheses. Here's an example. The sentence is Jesus said that even the jot and tittle would be fulfilled. The parentheses is the smallest markings in Hebrew writing. Together, they bring a richness of insight and clarity. Each one makes sense in itself, but together there's more. Our lives are like a statement in a parentheses that, well, we're living it. It has a measure of sense, but it gathers more significance and Understanding and clarity when we see the sentence or the paragraph. Here's a, a visual of what this would look like. I'm gonna take two words, picnic and lightning. What comes to mind when I say picnic and lightning? Well, let's start with just those two words. I remember an early date, we had a picnic. I've been in places where there was lightning and how intimidating it is. So I know those two words. That makes sense. Picnic, lightning. But what if I were to surround it with this statement? My very photogenic mother died in a freak accident. Picnic, lightning. When I was three. Suddenly, there's a a, a heartache there. There's a loss. You can picture an accident that leads to death and shapes a life Forever. This is a quotation from the novel Lolita, Vladimir Nobokov. And just to be honest here, which I always try to do, um, I've never read the novel, but I sat down and I typed in best use of parentheses in Western literature and hit search in Google. And that's what we got. <laughs> but do you see that picture? Picnic and lightning makes sense. The tragedy of a mother's death makes sense. Together, they make more sense. I want to tell you the life you and I are living day by day, hour by hour, year by year, is like a statement in a parentheses. There's more outside the parentheses that gives us a sense of understanding of just exactly what's going on. That's the eternity. That's the transcendent. That's the great and glorious thing beyond us that gives hope and meaning to where we are. The conclusion from this is that we need to approach life. Our sense of comprehension ought to be marked by three things. The first is that we recognize that we are limited. We are limited. Our story can't make complete sense apart from the larger story outside of us. Our parenthetical life, you just won't know everything that's going on until you see what's outside. Can't make complete sense of it. Our lives are contingent. That means we find meaning for ourselves from something other than our life itself. This is the why I would say expressive individualism of our time is such cultural suicide. If you wanna determine truth as an expression of who you are inside, you'll never have the larger sentence to your own parentheses. Expressive individualism shrinks what it means to be a human being. It shrinks human existence to nothing more than me and what I can demand in my moment. But when I take my life, whether joyous or broken, and begin to see a larger picture, the sentence or the paragraph that surrounds my little parentheses, ah, then in that contingent state, I begin to find more joy. I'm also dependent. I will need another story to make sense of my own. I can tell you about Bill Lindner. What really becomes amazing is when I can tell you about Bill Lindner To some degree, in light of a bigger story about God at work, why would a 15-year-old struggle in a hospital after a serious football injury? God would take what was meant for evil in a broken world and work it for good. Here we are. You see, we cannot create our own identity from ourselves. It's like trying to build a majestic cathedral with three bricks. It won't happen we depend on something from outside ourselves in order to be who we have truly been created to be and called to be to be fully human in our true and real existence we need the perspective of eternity until you begin to sense the place of your life in the context of a greater eternity you'll always be missing something This is when someone after a career wakes up and says, is that all there is? It's because they've been living in the parentheses as if that was the whole story. Friends, there is more, that's the eternity. Because of these things, it means that we as the church who've been given by the grace of God, the good news of an eternal God who's entered into our brokenness and loved us deeply, we need to be honest. We need to be honest about what we do know from the Scripture. When the Scripture is clear, we need to stake our lives on that, but we need to be just as honest about what is not clear and certain. I'm a Presbyterian minister by training, and in the Westminster Confession that that I've been trained in and that we use, there's a very clear statement about not all passages in Scripture are clear, but the way to Bring clarity to what's not clear is to start with what he is. The key thing for understanding the Bible is the Bible itself. We need to um, be clear about what we do know and be humble just as well about what, what we do not know. So I want to tell you when we think about eternity, we need to beware of filling in the gaps for clarity. I want to tell you, you can go somewhere else, YouTube is a readily available place, and you can find people who will fill in the gaps of what lies before you in eternity. They'll be happy to give you the prophetic timetable. They'll fill in gaps that Jesus said, the Father hasn't asked you to know those. So when we think about eternity, when we struggle and wrestle to get the bigger sentence so we understand our life in parentheses, we need to be humble and honest about what we can know and what we can't. Otherwise, we'll be terribly confused. We'll be led from one place to the other. So what do we know? What do we not know? What do we not know we don't know? All of those become strategic questions we need to ask ourselves. And I want to give you a picture at this point, dropping a rock into a pond and the ripples that move out from there. I want to tell you some things that we do know. This is the splash, if you will. The splash when the rock lands right in the pond. The scripture is clear about this. We know who Jesus is because he's made it clear. Jesus is the unique intersection of divinity and humanity. Remember, I've taught you that the whole Old Testament, Jesus said, was given to us to explain who he is. That's what Jesus said to his two friends on the road to Emmaus. The Old Testament wasn't given to us to figure out what we need to do in order to be loved by God. See, the gospel is this, you are loved. Now here's how that should work out. The Old Testament is about who Jesus is. The New Testament instructs us about who Jesus is, the intersection of divinity and humanity. And so because of who he is, his death and resurrection matter in amazing ways. He died a fully human life, was buried and raised to new life, leaving an empty tomb. People would go there on Easter Saturday. It was sealed and guarded. When they went there on Monday, it was empty. That's the challenge of the gospel. We have it from reliable eyewitnesses, Peter. There were Roman soldiers mentioned in all four gospels as being there. Roman soldiers understood death. In 1 Corinthians 15, there's a list of people who saw the resurrected Jesus, including large groups of people at a time. He appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, as if he's asking us to go check it out. Friends, Jesus is calling each of us to stake our lives on that. You need to make sure it's reliable. And this is the splash. Who Jesus is, his death and his resurrection, the meaning of his death. Friends, the death of Jesus was not just the death of another good moral teacher, kind of a Socrates event. No, the death of Jesus was the death of The very incarnate word of God, God in the flesh, so that he might pay the penalty for our sins, a substitute, the perfect lamb, as we have portrayed in the Passover. Paul says in Romans 3, God himself is both just. He's committed to justice. Sin must be dealt with. What was the surprise was that he is also the justifier. Just and justifier. Whoa. Friends, there's the stone in the pond. That causes the flag, the splash. Now from that splash come other ripples, the initial ripples are what I'd call what's fairly clear. We saw in our text in Romans two that we know Jesus will return. Very clear there, you look at the creeds of the church across centuries. It's what the people of God, regardless of the moment in history, regardless of the culture, it's been their hope that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Justice will be established on planet Earth, friends. We'll do our best to approximate it in the meantime as his people, but at the end of the day, at the end of time, God himself will return and justice will be established. Now that'd be a frightening thing outside the gospel because I would have to face God's justice on my own, but because of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, he has taken the just punishment for my sin, and I am a deeply loved, fully adopted child of the great Creator King. We see all through the scripture, you see it in this text in Peter, but also in Revelation, that the old order of things will pass away and the new order of things will come. It says in Revelation 21, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Oh, come Lord Jesus. What would that news sound like in Kiev? What does it sound like in our old neighborhood, Holly Grove. According to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth, Peter writes in the third chapter. So the stone and the ripples, and then the further out you go, the ripples dissipate, things become less and less clear. I'll give you some examples. Here's a question that's less clear, as best I can tell in the scripture. What happens to me at death? Is there an intermediate state? Do I uh, die and be with Jesus? Do I rise? What happens? Well, we're not exactly sure. I'm just gonna say it's a little fuzzy, but you can trust any God who would give his life for you. You see the difference between the stone that is clear, the ripples that come from it, and then a little further out? Here's one I've already alluded to. When does all this happen? The big question certainly is when, and Peter said in our text, it'll come like a thief. That means the return of Jesus will be marked by surprise, not by a five DVD set. You understand what I'm saying. Jesus regularly tells his disciples that it is not ours to know. Listen to Acts 1. Jesus said to his disciples, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. What more do we need to ask about the when? Live faithfully and the when is up to a God who would give his life for you. This I know because it comes from the mouth of Jesus Matthew chapter 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to panta ethne in the Greek. Do you hear that? To every ethnic group. And then the end will come. Okay. Marching orders. No wonder he set us out commissioned with the gospel. Because not until everyone... Remember Peter said it's about his patience. It's about salvation. So how then shall we live? Given the stone, the ripples, and the further out, the things that we do not know, how then shall we live faithfully, friends? It's clear that we ought to be living lives that are trusting God, that are loving neighbor. We ought to be living lives that are deeply inserted into the scripture, praying, studying, meditating. For the scripture, in a sense, is a glimpse into the sentence around the par- the parentheses of our life. It's the scripture where the Holy Spirit has promised to meet us and teach us. A people of prayer because, you know, I I read these studies, these medical studies. People who pray have lower blood pressure. Well, as a guy with blood pressure problems, that's probably a good thing. But I want to tell you, if you understand prayer as only something in the imminent frame world, You'll never realize that prayer is our opportunity for conversation into eternity. It's a conversation from our parentheses into the sentence or the paragraph. God will speak and lead and guide. It was Jesus who said, my sheep hear my principle, and then they apply it with the best of their, no. My sheep hear my voice. Prayer is how God speaks into our parentheses. Most of all, for this day, there are the sacraments where transcendence intersects with imminence. For a number of years around the Reformation, there was a lot of argument and discussion about just how is Jesus present here. And some folks said this and some folks said that. Other folks said the other. One of the reasons I'm here and minister in the context I do is because our tradition, and I believe it reflects the Scripture, is that Jesus is here in the reality of the Spirit. It's the promise of His Word. It's the work of His Spirit. We, it, it, it's not in my goodness. It's, it's not that I can change the bread or the juice. It's that Jesus will be here with His people to do what he said he will do. I've been praying for this moment. Some of you will experience deep conviction and have opportunity to step away from your brokenness into new life. Others will hear a voice of encouragement. Some will gain clarity on a situation you've been praying about. This is where Jesus shows up and is free to do amazing things. Friends, we've spent the past 10 weeks looking at key formative ideas that grow from the gospel of God's grace we looked at how God is one God but in three persons. Relationship is built in to the very thing because an expression of who God is. That God has made himself known by the spirit speaking in the word of the scripture. These key ideas that shape us as we live for God. One of the great themes we looked at was about the image of God. How every human being you will ever meet is created in the image of God that has been broken by sin. Every person we'll ever meet has been touched by those two things. And the good news of redemption calls us to adoption and to relationship. But the image of God changes how we live in this world. The story of how the European settlers and then the United States have interacted with the uh, native tribal people of this country has a long and shameful history, frankly. It's a sad thing. I remember being able to teach um, students on the Cherokee reservation in Western North Carolina, beginning to learn more of their story and their experience. Heartbreaking it is. For the most part, that relationship has been terrible. Violence exchanged, broken treaties, but in some places it went well, at least for a time. You see, ideas have consequences. And if you have the idea that every person you will ever meet is an image bearer of the living God, even if they're broken, you'll treat them differently one of the things that has stood out to me in my reflection on history is that as terrible as that relationship has been there are times that it has been good what's the difference you know one of the best examples of a great working relationship between european settlers and native americans we're about to celebrate it it's the first thanksgiving we ought to look not only at failures, but at where did it go right and why. I want to read to you a little. This is Mort's Relation, a journal of the pilgrims at Plymouth. Edward Winslow, a eyewitness. He speaks of the first thanksgiving. Massasoit, their great king with some 90 men, these are gonna be warriors with their king, came And for three days, we entertained and feasted, and they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. Now, what would you do if 90 warriors showed up at your door? The pilgrims, with the gift of hospitality, had them in for dinner. Imagine. Over on the next page, again, this is eyewitness. So that there is now great peace amongst the Indians themselves, which was not formerly the case. Neither would have been but for us. And we, for our parts, walk as peaceably and as safely in the wood as in the highways of England. That's the first Thanksgiving. An opportunity to extend gospel hospitality to people who are different, but image bearers and who are loved. Ideas have consequences. This gospel idea of the image of God broken but redeemed sets us off on one path. Later, the Puritans, different than the pilgrims would arrive. They were accustomed to having the power of the world and things went differently. I want to suggest to you, and we did this in the sermon, that every time we forget the imago dei, the image-bearing nature of any human we meet, is the minute we go off the path of the gospel. Ideas have consequences. I'm so thankful. C.S. Lewis, in his sermon, The Weight of Glory, said, there are no insignificant people. Civilizations, cultures, art, They pass. They're mortal. But every human being you meet will be a reflection of the image of God and a reflection of eternity. Jesus died for them. How can we not love them with the hope and the calling of the gospel? Let me pray for you. Lord God, we thank you that though broken and confused, By your grace, you have reached out to rescue us and to transform us. Though we wait with great anticipation for the coming of your kingdom, when you will set all things right, still we give you thanks and live that to the best of our uh, empowered ability in this moment. Thank you that the good news of eternity has been spoken into our parentheses. Let us live in the faithfulness of that, not the isolation of our own parentheses. Meet us, we pray, and guide us. For we pray in the marvelous and mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our God. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our celebration community or how to support Hardawike Ministries, please visit us at heartofwhite.com.